0: jump into Acts 4 and hear a lot of the same things. Acts 2.42 says they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Reverential awe came over everyone, and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common And they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. It's insane. Every day they continued to gather together. Every day they continued to gather together. Every day they continued to gather together together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. And then Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says, "'The group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. "'No one said that any of his possessions was his own, "'but everything was held in common.'" With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was no needy among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds from the sales and placing them at the apostles' feet. The proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need. And so Joseph, a Levite, who was a native of Cyprus, called by the apostles Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and placed it at the apostles' feet. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue on. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example we have of your body in the early church, in the book of Acts. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be able to see what you have for us and how you want us to be as we look at it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jim is passing out uh, our our 415 is what we're calling it, and so it's a place to take sermon notes on the front, and then on the back, uh, the next several pages, is a daily guide for for applying and living out the Scripture. It's lit, the 415s are based on this series that we've been going through, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the 415s that are on each page are, page are built off of those ideas. And so, uh, take that, fill out the notes as we go through the morning today in, in the sermon. If we run out, we can make some more copies. We would love for you to have Copy of that as we go through the sermon, and then apply it to our lives in the week ahead. Has anyone ever um, have you ever taken medicine and experienced side effects? Yeah. It, what are if if it's not too personal? I'd love to hear what some of the side effects are. Anyone have a side effect they want to share? Yeah. Makes your lips swell up. Yeah, that would be awkward. Yeah. Yeah. I for migraines, or me, if I'm hospital, and run? Huh. Yeah. Wow. of That's interesting. Yeah. I had to do that for a little while, too. Somebody, I saw a hand, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. What, what it was Finnegrin? It just kind of, she had a, these involuntary spasms where her hand would just kind of come up and whack herself in the face. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so uh, yeah, you got one? yeah, that's a bad side effect, yeah, you don't want that anymore. I don't know if anyone else had one. okay <laughs> yeah so so that kind of medication can affect us that way too. Um, well, I don't have any real drastic side effect stories, except that it's not drastic, but um the doctor you know went into the doctor a couple years ago and he said my cholesterol was high and so i you know and he said he said you can't you can't lower your your cholesterol that much by diet alone so you need to take medicine and so i believed him, and i took this medicine i went i went and took it and not long after i started taking this medicine which it did lower my cholesterol by the way it did do that like it was supposed to, but I started having these spasms right here, and it would, it would just kind of like, like it would just freak out and just just do this thing, right? And it was really weird, really, and so I stopped taking the medicine, but that was like a, a year, maybe even two years ago, and still a couple times a day, I still get these spasms right here, from from so that that would be what you call a side effect or probably an adverse side effect an unplanned side effect or as we would say an undesired result right That's not the desired result of the medicine. The desired result of the medicine was to lower my cholesterol, and it lowers my cholesterol and doesn't affect me in any other way, and so I can keep taking the cholesterol for the rest of my life, and the pharmaceutical company gets rich because I'm committed to keeping my cholesterol low. But it didn't work out that way for me. I had an undesired result. Well, I was... I've been doing a lot of thinking about this, this uh, sermon in particular because of what, what, they, what they talk about and the radical nature of the way the early church was living their lives, and, and then I asked myself the question, why isn't this what the church is like today? Why is this not, you know, the desired result? Why is this not the the actual outcome of the church today? And so I think we have some real heavy questions that I think we need to wrestle with as we go throughout this sermon. Now, when you hear the sermon, I don't want you to hear what I'm saying or what I'm about to say as a prescription for becoming something to achieve something. What I mean by that is a lot of us approach our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus, as though we need to do X, Y, Z, and if we do X, Y, Z, we will receive A, B, C. But, but, but that's not at all. See, this isn't, this isn't a, a, you know, do this and you will live, even though the Bible does teach that in, in a lot of ways, but because… I have been made alive, I live. Do you hear the difference? Not, I'm not doing this to try to find life, but because I have been given life, I want to live this way. So don't hear this talk because we're going to be talking about generosity this morning. And I know all of our radar and our flags and our protective defenses go up when we talk about Generosity. But I'm not what I'm not saying is a prescription, but I'm saying what we should be living should be, the, should be producing the desired result, which is generosity. If we're living according to these things, I believe the natural outflow, the natural fruit of this kind of life where we're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, where we have been transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the natural result of that is radical generosity. And we see that here in these two pictures in the early church in Acts. But not just in these two pictures, but since Jesus… The church has been, by and large, the most radically generous group ever in existence on the planet. Since Jesus, the church has been the most radically generous group ever. In fact, you can get pictures of this not only from from Acts, but early church history, the, the church had a reputation as cannibals. How many of you knew that the church had a reputation as cannibals? Now, the church had a reputation as cannibals because they were known for going to the trash heaps, for going to the place where people in that culture, in that time, would take their unwanted, take the babies that they didn't want, take the people with defects and deformities that they didn't want that were too much work, they would take them out to the trash heap and leave them there to die. Because they couldn't kill them, but if they died because they couldn't care for themselves, that was okay. Okay. And the church would go out and gather in the babies and gather in the unwanted and bring them all into the family, into the fellowship, and care for them. And so from the outside, what the outside world saw was they were taking them in and not bringing them back, so they must be eating them. So they had a reputation, literally had a reputation of being cannibals because of their radical generosity. The church actually has been one of the groups of people that even when it cost them their lives, they were willing to go into some of the sickest areas through the plagues, through, through, those, through some of the parts of the world where they knew by going into this, I'm probably going to not come out of this. But they would go in because they wanted to care for the people who were suffering as a result. That's giving your life in a radical way. The church has been the one that has started the most hospitals and orphanages around the world. In fact, a lot of those hospitals were formed out of the groups that went in to care for the suffering in some of these really sick areas, and they formed and have hospitals that still stand to this day as a result of that. And today we see this in the form of drilling wells and buying goats and sending our used clothing and all the the wrongly printed Super Bowl shirts end up around in different parts of Africa, so there's an entirely different American history that the rest of the world has experienced than what we have experienced. But really, the church has been a radically generous group. But when you contrast that with the church we know today, the church that many of us have been a part of, there's, there's something different something isn't quite adding up. There's a gap between what should be the result of living in this way and the actual result. The desired result would be this generosity, this level of lifestyle generosity that we see as the fruit of this kind of life, but for whatever reason, that doesn't seem to be the standard. I found this uh, from a Barna study. It says, among adults who attend church regularly, which they deemed, and this just cuts me to the, to the soul, that those who attend church regularly attend church an average of le- uh, at least once a month. So you can come to church once a month and be considered an average attender according to this study. So among adults, and that wasn't even the point of what I was reading, but among adults who attend church regularly, more than one out of every three did not give any money to church in the past year. Those who contribute give only about 2.5% of their income. This is the average across the nation. The average donation by adults who attend Protestant churches is about $10 a week. Overall, only 3 to 5% of the people who donate money to a church, tithe their income. Three to five percent. Now, we've talked about how we are working hard to be the exception, and in fact, according to these statistics, we are way, 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 way above these statistics in terms of it. But still, we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied until everyone is living this way. Why? Because... We think it represents a heart that has been changed. It's not because the church really wants your money and we really just want to suck every dime that we can out of your life for our own benefit, But, but when our lives have been radically altered by the grace of Jesus Christ, it literally changes who we are and how we live our lives. And so this is one of the measurable metrics we can use to see how well we are doing in the kingdom. But I was thinking about it as I was driving in, and I'm going to make a pitch for Mocha 6-8 right now, because I do think you should buy coffee from our church. I don't think you should stop by Crutch Brothers. I don't think you should stop by BlackRock or Starbucks or whatever, because, you know, when you buy that, I'm just going to, I'm going to guilt trip you hard right now, just so you know, when you buy that, you're supporting some big corporation and you're making some CEO even richer. But here, when you buy coffee from here, all the proceeds go into the ministry of the church. They help support the coffee that we drink for free. A lot of us just drink the free coffee. And then, you know, they also help support the coffee ministry to function. And then any time we have extra, it just goes into supporting the ministry of the church. So, I do think you should buy your coffee here at Mocha 6-8 on Sunday morning. Now, you might disagree with me, but I hold it. As my right, when you come in with coffee from a place outside the church, to coffee shame you. All right, so, so just expect that when you come. But as I was driving into church this morning, I saw on uh, Crutch Brothers building out there that they have like a buck for. A cha- I can't remember what it was. Like it was like a doll, like a buck for a student or something like that. It, who drinks that? I don't know if you know, dollar for kids. So. I'm assuming what that means is you can give a dollar, or you give a dollar extra, or they give a dollar over there, whatever they do, and they what? They give a dollar from each drink, they give a from each drink. and so um, that that got me thinking of you know when we go to Safeway, which is another another pet peeve of mine. You go to Safeway and they say do you want to round up for X Y Z, and and why that bothers me is because they're taking my money and then claiming it as a tax write-off as their generous donation, and so they take all the money from But that's not really here or there. That's just a rant that doesn't have any place on a Sunday morning, but it came out, so we had to go with it. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of live in this culture where now our definition of generosity is this. It is, it is that idea. It is round up for, insert cause here, round up for, And then insert cause here. Do you want to round up for the Children's Hospital? Do you want to round up for the Clark County Food Bank or the Oregon Food Bank or for Toys for Tots or, you know, all the different things that are good things? But our idea now of of generosity is, well, I'm just going to round up and I'm good. I did something good today because I gave 22 cents. And I think that is really actually becoming and a way, something that affects our thinking of generosity. I've got a clip, couple clips I want to show for you this morning. I'm going to try to. I'm going to. I'm trying to over exaggerate for fun to make it a little more lighthearted than our usual talks on money. So here's one uh, from one of my favorite movies, 2012. Anyone a big fan of 2012? No. If you don't know me, you can pray for me, because my favorite kind of movie is the apocalyptic movies where it's the end of the world. And I don't know why, I just really like those kinds of movies. I'm drawn to them, and I have no explanation. It probably feeds my savior complex that I have. That's probably what it is. But um, I, I like the contrast in that, in that scene, because, you know, for one, something has gone wrong, right? If, in the movie, something has gone wrong. He says, something has gone wrong... <laughs> Some, of course something went wrong. It's all wrong. But, but when something has gone wrong, we need to stop and evaluate what has gone wrong, right? I mean, somewhere along the way, something has gone wrong in the church because we don't look like this anymore. Somewhere along the way, we drifted, or we shifted, and something has happened, that now this is not what we look like. And don't hear me say that I'm thinking we need to sell all of our possessions and go move into a commune together. That's not my, my intent at all, but, but we should still be marked by radical generosity. But somewhere along the way, something went wrong. We either got so obsessed with mission or distracted with personal comfort that we stopped being the most compassionate people on the planet. In that clip, you can see the contrast between the, the one, the captain, who's, who's obsessed with mission. Like, the whole reason we're on this ship is to try to save a whole bunch of people. And because you want to save these couple of people, you put in jeopardy the lives of all of the other thousands of people that are on this ship that we plan to save in the first place. But you hear from the others the compassion, you know, He's hurt. He's wounded. Something has gone wrong. And somewhere along the way, we became so focused and obsessed with mission that we stopped being compassionate for the people who were hurting. Something has gone terribly wrong. today i'm not talking or commanding us to be generous i'm not making a command that we must be generous people those are not the words that i'm saying but what i am saying is why why is this kind of radical generosity no longer a byproduct of today's church now again i'm making kind of blanket statements but but and and contrast to the early church, we're we're far from this kind of, this level of generosity. So why, why is there such a gap? Why is there such a difference? And I'm asking that question because I want us to wrestle with the answer. See, the radical generosity of the church was, I believe, tangible evidence of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ rising up among them. Radical generosity wasn't accomplished through arm twisting. It wasn't as though, you know, the apostles would get up every Sunday and, and twist arms to say, give us more money, give us more money, give us more money. And to be honest, I don't want to do that. I refuse to get up and just twist arms to try to squeeze more dimes out of the people who call 6-8 Church home. Because I don't think that it's biblical. It's biblical. But we still need to wrestle with the issue, why aren't we as generous as the early church? But in the early church, I don't think radical generosity was accomplished through arm-twisting. I think it was a byproduct of being transformed by Jesus. Radical generosity was a byproduct of being transformed by Jesus. Radical generosity is a byproduct of being transformed by the resurrected Christ. That's your, your quote up in the top right-hand corner of your notes. That, that when we've been transformed by the resurrected Christ, it literally changes how we live our lives. And I want to kind of build out a case, build out an argument for you for this in short order, and, and uh, we'll wrap up. But as we've talked many times, Christianity is a whole life sacrifice. I I sacrifice my whole life, everything that I thought I was entitled to before Christ, I sacrifice it all. And this is from Jesus' command himself. In Luke chapter 9, 23, we see one of the accounts of it where he says, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, will save it. For what does it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? Walking with Christ, having received the resurrected Spirit of Christ, transforms us to a point where we now deny ourselves daily and take up our cross daily as we follow Jesus daily. It's not just a Sunday thing, it's a day-in, day-out thing. And the early church, because they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, koinonia, life-on-life, breaking of bread, and prayer, because they were continually devoted to these things… Because Not because they wanted to achieve something great, but because they had received something beyond description, they were characterized as radically generous people. Not because they wanted to achieve something, but because they had received something beyond description. So Christianity is a whole life sacrifice, and most of us, I think, struggle with this, myself included, which Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, where he says, "'No one can serve two masters. "'Either you will hate the one and love the other, "'or you will be devoted to the one "'and despise the other. "'You cannot serve both God and money.'" And for a lot of us, money, status, acclaim, being able to brag about the life we live has become the most important thing. And without even realizing it, we're serving this master. Got a clip. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, God's Not Dead, but we just rewatched it this week with our kids, and there's this really poignant scene that stuck out to me as we were watching it again, and I wanted you guys to watch it this morning. See, when you have to say something hard, you can just go find a movie clip that says it, and you don't have to say it. But could it be that we've believed a lie? That we've bought into this lie that, that, that it's our money, it's our life, it's our stuff, and, and if God really wants me to be happy, He won't ask me for too much of it. That that we think that that God's biggest desire for our lives is to make us feel as comfortable as we desire to feel. And not even realize that that by, by pursuing that comfort, by pursuing that end, what we are doing is actually building a prison or staying in prison when we've been set free from that prison. What if believing that lie has us in a prison of our own choosing? We can't serve two masters. Now, I'm not saying we have to, I'm not saying, don't hear me, you got to get okay. Everyone, get out your checkbooks, write out the balance that's in there, and, and just say, "Okay, I'm not. I'm no longer. I'm no longer serving money. It's all God's. God can do whatever He wants with it. Um, if you want to do that, I'm not going to stop you. But no. But what I'm saying is, which one is the master? Which one is driving your life today? Which one is, is the thing that, that's causing you to make all the decisions in your life? Is your relationship with God and your pursuit of your relationship with God the driving factor that, that determines everything you do, including how you earn and how you spend and how you live and how you relax and how you recreate and how you enjoy all of the things that you work so hard for, is, it, is that what's determining how you're going to spend it, or is it God saying, uh, I loved you and I did a lot for you? that's the point. Tithing isn't the main point. It is a point we're going to make. It is a point we're going to talk about, but tithing is not my main point this morning. But it would be, I think, ridiculous not to talk about it in this setting. Because what I've come to know from my own story, from my own journey, when I wasn't tithing, even though I was in ministry for many, many years, I did not tithe at the churches that I was at, I spent a lot of time not tithing, and I had a lot of justifications and a lot of reasons why I didn't need to tithe, because, well, you know they only pay me for 40 hours a week and I work 55, so I don't need to tithe. Or I don't really trust the leadership of the church, and so because I don't trust the leadership of the church, I'm going to hold back my money and use it for myself. Maybe I'll give a little bit of money here and there to some other parachurch organizations, but, but I'm not going to give it to the church because I don't trust the church. And I had a litany of excuses and reasons why I shouldn't tithe. But God challenged me on that, He confronted me on that, and we've been tithing for quite some time, and I want to share with you just a little bit one of the Scriptures that changed my perspective. I wrestled with it because it was, seemed like an Old Testament thing that we didn't have to do anymore, because we've been set free from the law, so we don't have to do the law, the Old Testament thing, anymore, but then... I've also made the argument that Jesus didn't do away with the Old Testament law. He fulfilled the law, and the law that he put in place was something that was much greater than what the Old Testament law said. So really, if, if the Old Testament law was tithing, then the New Testament law would be everything. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites!' You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel." The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were careful to tithe, not just their money, not just their income, but even giving 10% of their herb gardens. I mean, how many of us would do that? I mean, we're growing an herb garden in your house and you've you've got your dill and your mint and your cumin all growing out there and your rosemary and your whatever, all spices that I'm not familiar with, although I think rosemary is one that I don't like. But you know it's growing in your house, and you you take off ten leaves, but you're going to give one to the church. I mean, how many of us are that extreme with it? I'd say none, as far as I know. I know there are some in here radically generous with their gardens and and with the proceeds of what God has given them. But but are we that careful to tithe? And that's what Jesus was saying. They were they were so careful that even to. The smallest thing that was growing a part of their life that God was giving them, they tithed even to that, but they neglected the camel. They strained out the net, but they, they totally choked down the camel, which was justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And what does Jesus say? He said, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting. former. You should have practiced justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting tithing. Here's a point that I want us to hear. Tithing is not generosity. We feel like it is because it seems like it's our money. I'm going to explain that in just a second. But tithing is not generosity. You can and many people do tithe without ever being generous. Tithing is not generosity. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 18, a big chunk of Scripture, but I really want to explain this concept a little bit more. This, by the way, is in the passage where we have, where we quoted from a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about breaking bread together every day, where Jesus quoted from when he was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan, and he responded that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so this is in the context of that teaching, which makes it really profound for everything that we've been talking about this last month as a church. And I was going to do a whole sermon on it, but it just didn't didn't fit because I didn't want to bore you with it, but this is, this is really exciting to me. This was just eye-opening to me as I read that in the, and read this in the context of that statement that Jesus quoted. Because Jesus, this is Deuteronomy 8 verse 11, and so Jesus quotes it, and so that makes it really significant. But then at the beginning, they're talking about manna and how God provided manna and then how God is leading them into the promised land and how He's going to provide abundance for them in the promised land. And when they get in there, He says this, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, When you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. We tend to think that that it's that it's our money. And because we spend our time and we put our effort into it, that, that, that it's our money, we get, we get to determine how we spend it and how what we buy with it and the comfort that we give to ourselves as a result of it. But here, God tells us that's not true, that it's God who gives us the ability to earn wealth, to get wealth. And in fact, we've talked about many times how We are blessed to be in America, and the reason we are in America, where we are, is because God chose for us to be in America in these lives, and and even the most poor among us are rich by the standards of the world. It's God who has chosen to put us there. Someone just texted in, generosity and the taking care of one another was a part of Jewish culture done right. Right. It was amplified in Acts two by the Spirit. It is no less a part of our cult- It is less so a part of our culture and harder to learn. And that really gets at the point that I'm driving at: is this something that is being amplified by the Spirit in our lives? Do we have an understanding that it is God who gives us the ability to earn wealth and and get wealth, and, and, and what God has put in our resource barn has been put there by God for His benefit and for His purposes? One thing that I've struggled with when it comes to being generous is that we tend not to be generous because we think other people don't deserve our generosity. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I certainly have felt that way. Well, they're just going to waste it. They're just going to blow it on this or that. Or, you know, what I'm talking about is really getting... At the, at the church and being generous within the body of Christ here in our church family. And, and, and we say, well, you know, they could really use our help, but are there, is this going to change anything? Are they going to change? Are they going to learn anything? And then they come back to me asking for another handout. And, well, I guess, you know, they just, maybe they just don't deserve help. Maybe they need to learn their lesson first, and they don't deserve my generosity. And I think that's one of the big reasons why... We're not generous. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just me. I don't know if anyone else knows what that's like, but that is how I have felt. They're just going to waste it. Or what have they done for me? What did they do for me to earn this? I mean, okay, so I'm going to give them money, but I expect them to work X amount of hours out in my lawn to pay for it. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. But what did we do to deserve or earn God's generosity towards us in Christ Jesus? What did we do to earn or deserve God's grace to us that He poured out to us in His Son, Jesus Christ? John three sixteen through 21 says, For God so loved the world, God in this way loved the world, God in this manner loved loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. God loved the world in this way that He gave, He sacrificed, He surrendered, He laid down His one and only Son for us. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He gives us this great gift by just believing in the Son. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. So, if you are in Christ, you're not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. This is where we need to pay attention because I think this is where we're getting dangerously close So we, we can't serve two masters. We cannot serve both God and money. And I think a lot of the struggle, a lot of the tension that we're feeling in the church today is we are trying to bring darkness into the light. Like God has brought us into the light, and through His truth is shining the light to all the dark areas of our lives, all the shadows in our lives, and, and He's illuminating our lives, and but we don't really want to let the things that are causing the shadows go. We, we think there's got to be some way for us to have both, but it's Impossible. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, we've read this a lot during this series, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. I've read that scripture so many times and never really paid a whole lot of attention to that word reasonable. It's reasonable service. Giving your life as a living sacrifice is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? Why is this our reasonable response? This is this is you say, this is this is just how you should respond. This would be a good expectation. It's reasonable. It's not, it's not outlandish, it's not ridiculous. This is reasonable giving our whole lives, dying to whatever it is we think we're entitled to, denying ourselves, taking up our cross. This is our reasonable service to God. It sounds extreme and radical to us today, but but it's reasonable. This is is just our reasonable response to God. Why? Why? because of how much he gave for us and how much he continues to give to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He he gave his son for us as a sacrifice for our sins. That in and of itself makes it reasonable for us to give our lives as a living sacrifice, but God doesn't stop there because God is an abundant God. God. He doesn't, he doesn't just stop with doing something for us, but He continues to give more to us. He, he, gives, us, he gives us sonship or daughtership. He, he gives us adoption into the family of God. That is a great, amazing, radical gift that God does not have to do, but He chose to do, and He chose to do for us, to give to us. And, and, and He chose chooses ongoing regularly to to bless us. He, He chooses to give things to us all the time. We have so many gifts in our lives that God has given to us. God has given so much for us and so much to us. It is reasonable, it is perfectly reasonable that our whole lives are a living sacrifice to God, and when we struggle with that, it's because I think we're struggling wanting to serve the other master. Radical generosity is a byproduct of being transformed by the resurrected Christ. Someone just asked, can you tithe of your time? Does a heart that is serving God count as tithing? If there are 168 hours in the week, um, I don't want to only tithe 16.8 hours. I want to serve the entire 168 hours. that's an interesting question. I would say you certainly should tithe your time, and I think if you look at Um, the 168 hours, 16.8 hours a week seems overwhelming to me, but if you break that out over the course of the week and that we're just living for Christ in that amount of time throughout the week, that we're being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer through that amount of time every week, it would radically transform our community and our lives. But the question is right. No, it's not really enough. God wants it all. God wants to be the priority of our entire lives. Someone else just said, uh, the point that we're making is that everything we have is given to God in the community, including money and time and not worrying about what percent. Yeah, everything is given to God. Everything is given into the community. It's not worrying about the percentage. And that is the point that I'm making. You read ahead in my notes. Should we tithe? Yes, we absolutely should tithe. Jesus said that it was good that the Pharisees did that. But should we just tithe? Should we stop at tithing? Absolutely not. That's not where the end, because if if we're being transformed into radically generous heirs of the throne of God, we don't really understand the kingdom that we've been adopted into if we're not living out lives of generosity, radical generosity, because the currency of God's kingdom is generosity. That is what everything has been proposed to us throughout all of Scripture is in the terms and the context of God being a generous God and lavishing His love on us. That is the language throughout all of Scripture. God is a generous God. The, the, the currency of God's kingdom is Generosity. So, should we tithe? Sure, we should tithe, but should we just tithe? Absolutely not. Because radical generosity is a byproduct of being transformed by the resurrected Christ. And if I'm being transformed day in, day out, then, then I want to live more and more by God's ideals and standards and less by my own. So, where do I begin? Where do I begin? A lot of churches would say, I should just start giving something. That's fine. If that's where you want to begin, if that's where it feels like God is telling you to begin, I would say start with giving 10%. I would say start with tithing. Why? Why start with tithing? I think it's very important to start with tithing because it's putting, what tithing is, in essence, is putting God first in that thing that fights for the control of our lives on a daily basis. It's it's saying, okay, I'm going to give God the first 10% of this because I know that this thing is fighting for the control of my life on a day-in, day-out basis. So it's acknowledging that, that He is the one who has blessed me, and because He has blessed me, I'm going to be a blessing, so I'm going to live my life in such a way that He is in control of the decisions I make with my money. And if we don't start with it, then it's easy to come up short at the end of the paycheck. You know what I'm talking about. You know, we start out with the best intentions, myself included. We start out with the best intentions that, that, that okay, I'm going to tithe, uh, but I need to buy this first, and I need to get this first, and I need to pay this bill, and I need to pay that bill, and I need to pay rent, and I need to buy gas, and by the time we get to the end of the paycheck, I wanted to tithe, but all that's left is like .03%, and so I'll throw that in this week. but what if we started with it? What if we started with 10%? Not because I'm making an emotional plea or because I'm guilting you into it, but because I want to put God first in every area of my life including the most difficult part of my area, the one that's fighting for the control of my heart all the time, I'm going to put God first right there, right at the middle of it, right at the center of it, and I'm not going to fight with God anymore over it. I'm just going to surrender to God and sacrifice to God and let God have it and just see what He does as a result of it. What if we, what if we started doing that? What if we... Beyond that, the next thing we did was we just started listening for needs that arise in our church family. Not just money, but money. Not just time, but time. That's the one we struggle with too, I know. And not just talent, but talent. What if we, what if we started listening and we responded out of what God has given us in our finances, in our time, and in our talents, our abilities? What if we just started listening for needs that arose and and as as they arose and we heard them we just we, we met them, we responded to them, we, we, we just cared for them because we know that God has blessed us abundantly, and, and we're in community, we're in the family of God together, and, and the currency of God's kingdom is generosity, and, and He has me here to help you, and He has you here to, to help me, and He has all of us here to help one another, and as we carry one another burdens, one another's burdens, which is what the Bible says, as we walk alongside one another and we carry one another's burdens, then it becomes so much easier to walk it out so what if we just started listening for needs that arose in our church family and we just met them when we had the ability with our money, with our time, with our talent another way, another real practical way you can do this is to just start listening for ways you can do something unexpected to show someone outside the kingdom that God loves them We've got these cards in the back that you can take and you can just do something unexpected. You don't even have to try to get the credit for it. Just give a card and just say, this is just something unexpected to show you that God loves you. What if we, what if we just started being radically generous? What if, we, what if we let that prompting of the Spirit in our lives as saying, hey, you should do this. This is something I'm putting in front of you for you to do. Because, because I'm alive in you, you, know, you feel God talking, hey, because I'm alive in you and because I'm, I'm, I'm restoring you into the image of Christ and, and I'm shaving off and trimming off all those areas of Adam that still remain of our sinful existence that still remain, I'm getting rid of all of that stuff. And so, so, hey, I'm here, I'm prompting you to do this. And the reason that I want you to do this is so that you're closer to me, so that this thing that you cling to, you let go of and you can actually start to cling to me so, so, hey, I'm putting this in front of you as an exercise in your faithfulness and your relationship with me so that you can love me more. What if we just started living that radical, generous way because we have been so transformed by the resurrected Christ? And I think if our lives aren't marked by generosity, we need to stop and ask why. Not because the pastor guilted me into it, but because that was the marker Of the early church, that was the result of being transformed by Christ. One illustration to close us up in our series, continually devoted. Um, In our house, I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your house, but you probably have. You know, you have the blinds up at nighttime and it's dark outside, and you've got the lights on in the house. And what happens on, on your windows when you've got the lights on in the summertime? Bugs, right? So, so I was just kind of noticing this, that when we, have the, when we have the blinds up and there's light shining out into the darkness, that for some reason the moths are just attracted to that light, and I've got a picture here hopefully for you, maybe I forgot to put it in, yeah. But uh, the moths are, for whatever reason, they're, they're attracted to this light, and, but, but because, you know, we've got nice houses and we've got glass in our windows, they're, they're stuck right there. And so they just kind of bang themselves up against the glass of the window trying to get to that light. They want to get to that light. They want to, they want to get to the light. They can see the light and they want to get to it, but they're just stuck there on the outside. And uh, I just had this thought, I mean, what if that's what if that's the world today i mean what if what if the world can can see the light but 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 there's just this barrier because we aren't really that devoted so like we're we're kind of in you know, we we come to church when it's convenient we we'll, we'll hang out with church people when it doesn't clash with the other events in my schedule you know, you know we'll, I, I, might, I might consider breaking bread with somebody i, I might consider sharing what Jesus is teaching me, or what God is teaching me, if, but, but if, that, if there's something else that kind of comes along that's better than that, then I'm going to go with that, obviously, because that's what everybody does. So, so you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in, I'm kind of committed, I'm kind of devoted. I kind of pray, but when I pray, I'm just really praying for the things that I want God to give me and want God to bless me with. I'm not really all that devoted to praying so that I can know God and know His will and make my will align with His will and all of those kinds of things. I, I kind of pray, but it's not, really, it's not really prayer that's about God or knowing God or, or following God or walking with God. It's just all still about me. And, and what if our lack of devotion is keeping people from really seeing the light or being able to get to the light. What if our, what if our half-hearted Christianity, what, what, if our, what if our anemic, weak approach to following Jesus Christ as a church in this country has created this barrier where they, they, they want it, but they just can't get to it? And what if the means for them to have access to it was us living this kind of life? And by us living this kind of life, we just kind of shatter that glass and just see, hey, you know what? These, these crazy Christians at that weird 6-8 church, uh, they really love one another in this weird way. I mean, like they, they they provide meals. They sit down for meals together. I mean, no churches do that. I haven't been in a church that had a potluck in years. Everyone's worried about getting sick, and, you know, so I, it's like, you know, but they, but they eat meals together, and when someone's in need, they just kind of rally around and support and do what they can, and they care for, and they love for, and, and they're just kind of weird, radical, crazy Christian people. I don't understand. I don't understand, but, 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 I, but I see it and and i want it and that is what jesus said would happen is that they would see our good deeds and glorify our father in heaven that they would see the way that we love one another and be drawn into christ to be drawn into the community and what if the reason that people aren't being drawn to christ right now aren't wanting to come into the kingdom of god right now aren't wanting to come into fellowship with god right now is because we have kind of dropped the ball on this level of devotion that should be just a part of who we are in Christian community, and maybe it's time for us to sacrifice again. Maybe it's time for us to surrender again. Maybe it's time for us to lay down our lives again and and to just kind of re-up with God and say, no, I'm all in. I, I am all in. I'm I'm continually devoted. I'm going to live a life of continual devotion to these things. I'm, I'm done letting the world tell me how I should live my life and disciple me away from God. I'm letting God and his kingdom and his community and his word and his truth and his spirit disciple me into the kingdom so that I might come into a deeper relationship with him because I see that that is the most important thing for me. And if I do that, there might be others who follow me in that. What if we just what if we just with God today? I'm all in. I am all in on what God said I'm supposed to be. Do you know what I think would happen? Radical transformation. I think if we if we did that for a year, if we lived that way for one year from this day, that when we got to September second. 2019 and looked back on the last year we would say God is good God God is amazing can you believe all that God has done And let's say, just for fun, we have a worship night a year from now on the same weekend, Labor Day weekend, which they would say you're not supposed to do because everyone's out of town, but we're going to do it anyway because I don't care about all the standards of how you're supposed to do church. And and let's say we have this worship night and we just hear story after story, testimony after testimony of how God transformed my life. God radically transformed my life. And the turning point was when I said... I surrender. That's what I'm longing for. That is what is stirring my soul to the depths of who I am, is I want us to be that kind of community. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, thank You for these amazing people that You have drawn together today. Thank you for all of the wonderful men and women made in the image of God that are in this building right now from the youngest to the oldest that, that we are a building full of people that resemble the likeness of God. Thank you for them. Thank you for the ways I have already seen so many examples of us living this kind of generous life. Thank you for the ways that we just we just love one another. We, we care for one another. I thank you and, and I praise you that this is Pretty normal, standard talk for us. But Father, I pray, don't let us become satisfied with what we've already attained but let us continue to press on toward the goal to win the prize for which we've been called heavenward in Christ Jesus, that we would continue to press on more towards you, reaching out more towards you, more of what you have for us, more of the life you desire for us, more of the image you want to make up in us, and more of that stuff you want to cast out of us. Father, I pray put in each and every one of us here at 68 church in this family who are united together in perfect unity by the holy spirit of Jesus Christ the resurrected and eternally living one who are united in perfect unity put in us this desire a fire a passion and a fervor that we must pursue this we must Go towards this. We must become this kind of community, and nothing can stop us because we have already received the victory. We are not fighting to achieve it. We have already received it, and we are just stepping into what God has for us. God, I pray that you would move us towards that as a as a faith community this morning, and not only for us, but all of our brothers and sisters in, in Christ all over the Vancouver area. That this morning and this, this season that we're in as a as a whole body here in this county. That that you would move us deeper into this and that we would find ourselves enjoying Christ in a way we never have before. In Jesus' name, amen.